Part of our health is influenced by how connected we are with those around us. And perhaps the authenticity of our relationships can have a greater impact on our health than we even realize. Welcome to Health, Harmony, and Happiness with Kathy. I'm your host, Kathy Stricker. I'm a wife to a law enforcement officer and mama to three lively littles. I'm a business owner, yoga teacher, health coach, and wellness and life enthusiast. And what I really like doing is connecting others like you with resources that could bring you health, harmony, and happiness on your life journey. These three elements are a result of that inner light that flows naturally through you and brings contentment. They happen when you seek to live mindfully as your best self and tune in to following this inner guidance. May this podcast serve as a nudge to discover tools that could help you on your path towards more conscious living. Hey everybody, today I am talking with Amy Zarling, who is a clinical psychologist and also an assistant professor in human development and family studies at Iowa State University. And we're talking primarily about loneliness today, but we're also going to just see what else comes up in this conversation. Um, I think just from what I just heard her telling me about, she's got some interesting stuff going on. So, So we'll see what happens. But before we get into the interview, I want to thank each one of you for being here. I hope that the episodes that we are bringing to you are giving you some little nuggets that you can begin to implement into your life right now or tuck away for whenever you're ready. Remember that this show is all about helping you discover ways that you can cultivate more health, harmony, and happiness in your life. Consider what those elements mean to you. In an ideal world, what does the blueprint of your best self look like? And if you find that something you hear on this show helps you get closer to that blueprint of vitality, then we're doing our job. Hooray! And we'd love to hear about it. Share your experience in our Facebook community, Cultivating Health, Harmony, and Happiness, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm so grateful that you're choosing to make this show a part of your life. Thank you. Now, on with the episode. Amy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, So I'm a clinical psychologist. I got my uh, PhD from the University of Iowa um, in 2013, and uh, I became a professor at Iowa State University in the Department of Human Development and Family Studies um, in 2014. So I've um, been at Iowa State for about six years. I just received notice that I've got tenure, which will become official this summer. So that's a huge stressor off my plate anyway, Um, which coincided, of course, with the pandemic coming on. So I just traded (laughs) one stress for the other, it seems. Um, But but maybe the 10 year lessons, some of the other stress that. Right. That would have been there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I should look at it that way. Um, And I love my job. I love what I do. I love researching. I love creating programs and interventions that help people. Um, so what is it that you do then? What do you do with, with research? Yeah. So my main research area broadly is developing and testing evidence-based interventions for a wide variety of things. But I would say my passion is anything that helps improve relationships. So even though some of the things I do kind of seem very different, 
my, my primary passion is helping people develop better relationships. So, um, that has included, you know, an intervention for loneliness, but I also actually work very, very extensively with the department of corrections on programs for justice involved individuals and helping them better their relationships. Um, specifically I've developed an intervention for uh, people who are, you know, convicted of domestic assault. They are mandated to complete an intervention program as part of Iowa law. And um, right now the state of Iowa is using a program that I developed to, um, to provide for those people in that situation. So even though that seems like very different than loneliness, you know, really, like I said, my passion is helping people develop better relationships. And so in that sense, they do. Yeah. It's it's all that connection. Um, I can imagine that someone who's in that situation, who's coming out of being institutionalized, um, is going to face a lot of these same things and is going to have that be in that, that risk category of, Hey, this person could just could go into that loneliness, could go into that state of not having any connection of not having a support network that is going to help them and, and be there for them. Absolutely. Yeah. We're talking about loneliness today and the perceived connectedness that we have in our relationships. Before Amy and I talk any further on this topic, I want to share with you some statistics that I came across regarding loneliness recently. In 2018, research conducted by Cigna and actually one of Amy's cohorts at Iowa State University showed that loneliness had reached epidemic levels in the United States, and nearly half of Americans reported being lonely, about 46%. That's huge. It's kind of a startling statistic, especially considering now we're in this time of social distancing and whether or not it's actually happening for some, it may mean that there, people are in more isolation, um, unintentionally or intentionally. But honestly, as much as we try to stay connected and use technology, there's people out there who don't have that access and who maybe don't have those networks to stay connected. So the isolation becomes even more and loneliness has the potential to really, I would think, get a lot higher skyrocket. I don't know. That's something that we're going to, we're going to dig into maybe a little bit. Um, Wikipedia defines loneliness as an unpleasant emotional response to perceived isolation. So there's that isolation. If we're already being told, ah, you need to stay away from people, then that risk of loneliness, I would think is a little bit higher, but loneliness could also be connected to, um, not feeling like you have intimate relationships or not feeling like you have those close people or friends around you to connect with and to interact with. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So I would say it's, it's more about, you know, the quality of your relationships than it is the number. Okay. Um, You know, you could be, that's why the isolation piece is, it's the perceived isolation because you could be surrounded by people and feel lonely. Sure. You could very much, you could be in your own house and have family, husband, um, close friends that you're, you're talking with, zooming with, um, interacting with every day and still feel lonely. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's the authenticity of your interactions, right? 
Right, right. So I actually prefer, you know, the term social connectedness than I do the term lonely, because I feel like lonely, I mean, even though that it's accurate to say lonely, I feel like it has got this connotation around it that is not exactly accurate. What I like to talk to people about is how socially connected do you feel? Sure. How intimate are your relationships? How fulfilling and meaningful are your relationships? And that's what I like to talk about um, with people or help them with because, you know, loneliness is a natural human emotion that comes up, but it's more of a symptom of the problem than it is the problem itself. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of like a signal. It's a signal that something is off. It's signaling to you something is not, you know, the way that you want it to be. And so if you dig deeper, then that's when I, when, you know, really getting to that social connectedness and sense of belonging and intimacy and the meaningfulness of your relationships is where, you know, where I think the action is anyway. So building relationships, cultivating better relationships, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the focus of it. Or belonging, you know, things like that. Yeah. Okay. Tell us more about that. Um, well, I, I don't, I'm not really a loneliness researcher per se, but from what I, you know, I did some research on it to develop the intervention for it. And I mean, I think, you know, the best way to think of it is that in some capacity, the person is not satisfied with their social relations, um, either in number or in quality. Um, I would say it's often both. Um, number and quality, but sometimes it's one or the other. Um, and it is there again, that, per, that word perceived is important. It is their perceived, um, feeling, you know, it's not something that anyone else can really label or say just by looking at someone's life or their relationships. Right. It's, in other words, it's not really an objective sure. thing. So it's, it's hard it's very to, much it's personal. probably hard to identify then. Right? Yeah, so it can be. Is it sometimes mistaken for some other mental health disorder or um, yeah, or issue? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's most commonly confused with depression. Sure. Um, so what are some of the indicators of loneliness or um, that disconnect? Yeah, I mean, really just what we said, that the person is... Uh, you know, not satisfied with their relationships in some way and feels the lack of social connectedness. I mean, and when you start, I mean, that's really the only way to figure out loneliness. Now, depression has all sorts of people who are depressed can be lonely and people who are lonely can be depressed, but they're not the same thing. And I mean, depression is an actual clinical diagnosis. You know, loneliness isn't. Right. Um, Loneliness is really quite simply a feeling. Um, depression is a lot more than a feeling. It's, it's a lot of additional things that have to go along with that to be officially depressed. Sure. Whereas loneliness is truly just the person's report of a feeling. So what are some of those Um, interventions then that you would use to help someone overcome this feeling? Yeah. So a lot of what I focus on in my interventions and programs for people who are feeling lonely is behavior. So I, like I said earlier, you know, I really view and my philosophy is that loneliness is a signal that there's a problem. It's not the problem. And so my interventions aren't about uh, getting rid of or eradicating the feeling of loneliness, because again, that's sort of the signal to you telling you that something needs to change. 
Right. And um, it's a it's feeling seen. and it, it's okay to have bad feelings. It's okay right. to acknowledge those or, or experience mm-hmm. them, but you right. have to acknowledge them and then take action to right. feel better. Right. 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 You kind of, I encourage people to look at it, you know, the lights on your dashboard on your car, you know, they give you important information about what's going on with your car. You wouldn't want to completely take out those lights, you know, I mean, I view emotions as similar, you know, you need to look at them in terms of what emo- or what information they may be giving you. And to me, lonely, the feeling of loneliness is really information that your body and your mind is giving you about something in your life that's not going the way that you want. Sure. And so to me, the focus of interventions is on building the relationships that the person wants which down, then down the road will likely, yes, reduce the feeling of loneliness. But we don't specifically target getting rid of the loneliness because that's that's not the point. It, right. I mean, it is, but it isn't. You know what I mean? Like right. The point is actually building the relationships they want, not getting rid of the loneliness. Because you could easily just drink yourself into oblivion. <laughs> oh, you don't feel lonely anymore. Well, that's not healthy. So it's right. not about you know getting Masking rid of the loneliness or, per se, you know. if that makes sense. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Cause there's lots of things you can do to get rid of certain feelings, but most of those things aren't healthy. So what are some ways that you recommend cultivating those relationships or to create the strong relationships um, so that mm-hmm. this feeling hopefully so that you can feel better, I guess. Yeah. And feel yeah. That, I mean, it, those it, authentic it, relationships. It, 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 yeah. I mean, it really depends on the person. I mean, I can give you sort of general things, but it really depends on the person. And I'll give you an example. So there are some people who are lonely who have like trouble making friends, trouble in relationships. And these would be people who maybe have challenges with like social skills or they tend to view social situations as threatening or, um, you know, maybe they feel vigilant, you know, always kind of looking for like, oh, does that person like me? Oh, did they, no, they must not like me. You know, they didn't smile at me. So there are people that kind of struggle with those things. And my, you know, interventions and work with them would look differently than someone who, you know, say just moved to a new town and hasn't been able to form connections yet. You know, like there, it, it can look very differently. You know, like for example, college freshmen are some of the loneliest, you know, one of the loneliest groups. Yeah. And a lot of that is because they moved from, you know, often close knit communities to, you know, huge communities where they haven't had a chance to connect yet. And so like my interventions and my work with people look very different depending on sort of what is leading to the lack of connectedness. Yeah. So where I would first look though, is if they have certain thoughts that are preventing them from trying to connect with people, you know? So for example, if they have the thought like, well, I'm not good enough. No one will ever love me or like me or, well, I'm just going to make a fool of myself, you know? So I would kind of be working with the person to kind of identify if those kinds of thoughts are going on. And if so, I would work with those thoughts first. Um, and, but thoughts are tricky. Thoughts can be very sticky. So I wouldn't spend like a ton of time on those, but I would want to like make note that those are there and work with them as much as I could and then get right to it in terms of like scheduling goals and activities that will increase social connectedness. And 
I learn a lot from this exercise with people that if we develop some sort of goal, like, okay, so in the next week, I'm going to call three people and see if I can schedule a lunch. Now, obviously in a pandemic, this would look different, (laughs) but, um, you know, in a pandemic, it may be, okay, I'm going to reach out to three people and see if we can schedule a zoom chat over the next week, you know, would be pandemic appropriate. Um, and then when I revisit them, you know, with them about the goal, like say a week later, I learn a lot about what happened with that. If they went at it and they tried, even regardless of whether they were successful or not, you know, that to me is one thing. If they didn't even try, then I go back to those thoughts because to me, then the person's got those sticky thoughts holding them back and we need to pay more attention to that aspect of things. Then if they were willing to try, they did it again, whether they were successful or not, almost doesn't matter um, from an intervention standpoint. It's about, you know, were they able to, to do it? Yeah. Let's go to like an example of if someone is in their own home, they seem mm-hmm. to be a very well-connected person. They mm-hmm. um, naturally are involved in groups. They mm-hmm. have family around them all the time, but are still feeling lonely. Do you mm-hmm. approach that the same Ask them to get involved, um, make three of those appointments or social opportunities. Yeah. I think what I would do differently there is ask what type of social connectedness they're missing. So what off the top of my head, what I would maybe guess is that they're missing like community connectedness in that respect. So it sounds like they would have like intimate family connectedness in that situation, but perhaps missing so to me, there are kind of like three levels of connectedness. There's like the intimate family level, spouse, kids, you know, then there's the friend level, um, you know, so kind of a step away from that close intimate, but, but still you can obviously be very close with your friends. And then finally the, the community level connectedness. So what I would do with that person is kind of ask questions about each of those levels and sort of see, you know, if my hypothesis could be correct that maybe it's more of that broader community level connection that they could be missing. And then we would focus on those activities. Like I said, the behavioral tasks on increasing that community connectedness. It's such a trial and error process then, For you sure. know, because For sure. you just, you don't know. Um, right. And sometimes the person doesn't even That's know. what I was going to say. Sometimes they're yeah. probably not even where they just have these feelings right. and they can't even identify that maybe it's feeling disconnected from others around them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And then some of it, you know, again, like I said, it could look so different depending on the person, but you know, some of it could be that they do have maybe a mental health issue going on or a lot of worry or anxiety or kind of an inability to be in the present moment and enjoy the relationships they do have. Sure. And so, to, you know, that, that is another, that's an example of the person who is surrounded by people, but feels lonely because they're not able to connect. And to me, I would work with that person on being able to be in the moment and really enjoy and their relationships and be mindful of the other person in front of them and really take that time to be in the moment and focus on that person and that relationship so that they can, you know, soak up the benefit of that right? as so- opposed to being in their head and not getting the benefit of that relationship. What are some little tips that you would give someone to do that or to try and, and maintain that mindfulness 
when mm. they're present with those around them. Yeah. I mean, I think my first step with someone like that would be to pr- for them to practice mindfulness, not with another person. Like I would want them to maybe take like five minutes every hour, or if that's too much, you know, maybe just a couple times a day and work on those mindfulness skills to build that muscle. Um, because, you know, for some people it's a very weak muscle, um, and starting to use it immediately when you're interacting with another person might be, you know, like trying to go and lift deadlift 200 pounds, which wouldn't go well. So, so I would start them on, you know, relatively smaller mindfulness tasks. You know, when you, if you're working, you know, step away from your computer and notice five things in the room, you know, notice the temperature in the room, notice five things that are blue, you know, and, and I would teach them those like smaller mindfulness tasks and have them practice those for a little bit first and then trans and then ask them to transfer that to the interpersonal context. Um, once I feel like they've got some more practice there. Um, so with another person that would look like, you know, just actually just listen to what the other person is saying without thinking about what you're going to say, notice the color of their eyes, you know, um, I mean, obviously some of this would be more appropriate with an intimate right. family right. member than with, you know, someone else. But I, I would, of course, adjust it depending on who the person was for that, for that person. Um, you know, there are lots of different mindfulness tasks like that. You can get pretty creative in terms of how you can help them be grounded in the present moment when they're interacting with somebody. And often that is what they need to feel more connected. Yeah. That's so true. Creating those genuine connections where it's right. not in passing. Hey, how was your day? Great. Okay, now I'm on to the next thing. Um, right. What are we having for dinner tonight? This great, you know, and, and you're really just not pausing to acknowledge and um, and take in the moment of being present with that person. Right. right. So mindfulness is a huge component to building connections, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, some people have that, you know, they may not label it as such, right? but sometimes I can tell that someone does have that ability and that's not where we would need to work, for example. So, you know, not everyone who is lonely, you know, is lacking in that skill per se. But like I said, it's one area I would look at to see if maybe they could use some skills. Do you think some of this or some of like social disconnectedness comes from some people may have more of a self-centered tendency. This just occurred to me. Like, do you think that that's Mm -hmm. even a, like that's out there like, Oh, well, if I'm only thinking of myself, then, but they don't realize that they're only thinking of themselves. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't, I wouldn't be able to tell you the exact research on that, but I definitely think that that's correct in the sense that I think research is pretty clear that, yeah, the more you think about yourself, the less you got, you're going to have less quality relationships. So we can probably right. easily extend that <laughs> right. to loneliness, you know, um, for sure. And that could also be why, you know, college freshmen tend to be one of the loneliest groups because, you know, they're still in that adolescent phase where their brain's not fully developed and they are still kind of at the tail end of, hopefully for a lot of them, the tail end of that kind of self-centered stage. And, um, that, you know, that can be a factor in what they're going through as well. For sure. For sure. Well, I'm glad you brought up mindfulness because as I wrap up conversations with people, I always ask them two questions. And one of them Mm -hmm. actually is, what's one way that you are being more mindful right now? 
Mm. You mean because of the pandemic? Uh, No, just in general. It can be pandemic or not. It can be just any way Mm -hmm. that you are um, practicing more mindfulness in your life right now. Mm-hmm. As big or as little as you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's like the mindfulness of being with my kids all day, every day. And like, I think normally on a work day, it's such go, go, go. And I and it's like, I didn't even realize I really was only seeing them a couple hours a day before. I mean, except on the weekends. Um, and so now to be mindful of this extra time that I have with them, which of course comes with some extra stress as well but sort of just being mindful of like what that actually is and what that means and how I get to learn more about them um, in ways that I didn't before. It's kind of amazing, um, isn't it? But yeah. also kind of blah. Yeah, mind, exactly. Mind it's, blowing. It's, like it's, yeah. I don't know. How old are your kids? Yeah. Seven, four, and one, and the four-year-old is going to be five next week. So, like, that's kind of a whole nother thing. It's just like feeling sad about her. She was going to have her first birthday party with friends, and you know we won't be able to do that. And so, just also mindfully guiding them through the sadness and the disappointment of not seeing their friends and not seeing their cousins and their grandparents, and like sort of being mindful and how I'm modeling for them my reactions to all those disappointments and sadness too and and definitely telling them that it's okay to feel sad and disappointed yeah but balancing that with okay we can get through this there are a whole lots of positives we can focus on too not at all taking away from the sadness and the disappointment yeah I don't want to do that I, I think it's healthy to feel that like we were talking about earlier Well, you're in a great Um, position to really also teach your kids about the importance of staying connected and remembering that, um, hey, okay, we have a birthday party coming up and you are going to be able to, you are going to be with your friends. We can't be in person with our friends, but maybe there's another opportunity to do that. Um, Mm. So that, you're in a great position also because that's kind of what you do for your work is cultivating relationships, even though you're working with adults, I would say probably more, right? Yes. Right, but, but a lot of teaching from a young age, like that's the those are the same principles, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like a great example is my seven year old. You know, she is so used to seeing her friends every day at school, and she did the after school program, and she had tons of friends there, and like she was actually feeling like, you know, she didn't use the word lonely, but I think she was really missing them and feeling lonely. And so we yesterday we wrote letters to them. I helped her write letters to them, which I would have never in a million years prior to this thing would have thought to teach her to write letters to her friends because it never, it never occurred to me. Right. Um, But that is why I think the situation requires some creativity on everybody's part. Um, You know, and she is getting to the age where they could, for example, zoom or video call, but you know, I, I, you know, some of the other parents like aren't quite ready for their kids to do that yet. And so, you know, I think letters are a, that's a great idea. You know, that just reminded me when I was a kid and we'd be on like summer vacation. I remember finding letters at my mom's house that I wrote to my friends and they'd write back, you know, like that's Mm -hmm. how we kept in contact when we were younger. Yeah. Um, so that, and it doubles as a writing lesson. Exactly. Bonus. One last question before we wrap things Mm -hmm. up completely. Um, how does your work cultivate more health, harmony, and happiness in your life? 
Yeah, I think for me, I want to see my work making a difference. And I wouldn't want to be the type of researcher or professor who just sits in my office and pontificates to my students all day or just types at my computer and hopes that one day my research will make a difference. I mean, I want my work and my research to have an impact and I want to know that that's the case. And so I see that all the time with the interventions that I develop. You know, I actually, I go out on the ground, I go into the trenches and I make sure I know how it's being implemented and I get feedback from the people that are, you know, doing these interventions. And I couldn't do this work if I didn't get that like real time feedback that it was making a difference. Um, You know, there are lots of researchers who can, you know, do their research just in their office and play with data and then publish it. And, and we need them. We need those people too. Um, That's, that's just not, that wouldn't be what would keep me motivated. That doesn't fill your bucket. Right. It doesn't fill my bucket. Like I knew I needed to find, to be able to do research that I could see the immediate impact and social and community difference that the work was making. And so for me, that's, 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 that's that's why I work. It's super rewarding. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Well, you're, you're creating and and working on a, a thing that a, a topic that is, just truly needed and important. Um, when you think of, yes, technology is a fantastic tool as we're discovering um, for staying connected right now, but it also is one of those things that can separate people and can keep yeah. people apart um, mm-hmm. because of of what it, how much it pulls your attention towards. Um, so the work well, that you're right. doing I mean, on cultivating relationships is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting because we are relying on technology so much to stay connected right now. And that's great and fine, you know. And I think we all need to be aware that it's no substitute. Absolutely um, not. It's what we need to be doing now for the good of the world. And, you know, there's plenty of research that shows, you know, it's taxing to be on zoom all day and have your social interactions that way, because your brain isn't computing the same level of social connectedness as it would be if you were in person. So like, of course this is better than nothing. Absolutely. And I don't mean to be downplaying it and it's what we need to be doing right now, but it's, I think it's helpful to be mindful of the fact that, you know, we still do need those in-person interactions. And when we can go back to those, we all should. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. (laughs) Which I think everybody pretty much is on board with. (laughs) I think so too. But I will also point out that, my gosh, I have even caught myself, like if I'm on a Zoom call with my friends, just because I need that connection. Oh, it's Mm -hmm. just like if you're on a regular phone call, your kids automatically know, and then they start to, Mm -hmm. you know, go bonkers. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it reminds me like, hey, I'm giving my attention to these other people. I also need to be mindful of giving my attention to cultivating my relationships with my kids and spending this time with them because they're here in person with me and what they're seeing me do during this time and what they're seeing my interactions as this time also means something to them. And so absolutely, absolutely to, to bring that around, like technology's good, but also we do need to be mindful of the present moment and, and being aware that mm-hmm. we're still cultivating relationships in our own homes as well. 
um, which we hear right. every day in, in the news and all these cool things that families are doing and all that. But um, yeah, it's easy to get wrapped up in it still, though, to be on on your technology meetings or um, video conferencing and then forget that, oh, yeah, I'm going to go be mom or dad right now, too, and, and hang with my kids live and in person. All right. Thank you so much, Amy. Have a good afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I share this information and guest with you simply because this is something that may be more present during this time of social distancing than we may even realize. Loneliness or social disconnection is a thing and is actually quite common even in people who appear to be connected or appear to have genuine relationships with others. According to one study I found in Managed Health Care Executive, loneliness is often a predisposition to health decline and disease onset. It leads to higher health care utilization, including readmissions, and decreases the likelihood of a positive health outcome following a hospital discharge. If you think about it, and may have even heard me say in the past, yoga says that the mind and body are one, not two, as we may have been led to believe. So knowing that, this information is not surprising at all, considering loneliness is a perception or something that we create in our minds. So it's probably also safe to assume that if someone is experiencing loneliness or social disconnection, it may be harder to recover if their body is attacked by a virus and even easier for a virus to attack a body that is experiencing loneliness. Interesting things to consider during this viral pandemic. Loneliness can actually cause systemic low-grade inflammation in the body that can contribute to a whole host of other diseases and ailments, leading to an overall decline in health. So naturally, it's going to also have an impact on our healthcare industry. There's a scale developed by researchers through UCLA, and actually the professor who worked on the study I mentioned at the beginning of the program from Iowa State is one of the researchers who also worked on this scale, and it's used to assess loneliness and perceived connection. I'll link to that loneliness scale in the show notes, and you may find it helpful. But the thing to consider and remember from what Amy also told us is that because loneliness or social disconnection is a subjective feeling, people don't often realize or admit that they're experiencing loneliness. So as we are all going through some form of distancing that may feel like isolation sometimes, it's important to know that there are social support resources and healthy social behaviors that we can all be taking right now to help those around us still feel connected. It could be a phone call, a video conference call with friends, or even a note in the mail to say you're thinking about someone. It might just take a little bit more effort these days because we aren't out and about naturally cultivating those relationships through in-person gatherings. Now, where I live in Iowa, we're fortunate enough to live in a part of the country where we can get out in the open and allow for the occasional socially distanced walk with a friend. I actually did this just yesterday. We kept our distance and were able to walk and, and enjoy time together. 
Volunteering is also another great way to improve connectedness, which may look a little bit different with social distancing measures in place, but creating a connection that supports feeling needed is a factor that can reduce those subjective feelings of isolation or disconnect. Interactions through technology certainly can't compare to those in-person, energetic interactions that we long for right now, but it's certainly a tool that has its place, especially during a pandemic. And I want to know, at any time in your life, has this sort of social disconnectedness affected you? If so, what did you do to overcome it? Share your experience in the Cultivating Health, Harmony, and Happiness community on Facebook. And reach out to someone today. They may need it more than you realize. Take the time for those authentic relationships that could last a lifetime. And head on over to karenyogawellness.com slash podcast 35 to grab the show notes from today's episode, as well as Amy's contact information and any other resources that we may have mentioned or talked about during the show. Cheers to cultivating more health, harmony, and happiness in your life. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, help us grow this podcast by sharing it with even just one other person. And it would mean so much to me if you would take a moment of your time to write a review. Your comments and feedback are what help me continue to bring you topics and guests that can help you and others on their journey in creating health, harmony, and happiness. Remember to head on over to cairnyogawellness.com to get the show notes and links from today's episode. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Karen Yoga Wellness. And to continue connecting with more resources that could help you enhance health, harmony, and happiness in your own life, subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again for listening.